Hello and welcome to the In The Ring Pedigree Podcast, a new show from the In The Money Media Network. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal. Very excited to be along for this maiden voyage of our new program. And joining me will be two voices you've heard before here at the outset, one a little bit more than the other. I'm referring, of course, to the man we call the people's champion, Jonathan Kinchin. JK, what's up? PTF, what's going on? I'm excited. I get to just sit back and listen and learn on this show and occasionally <laughs> ask a stupid question or two uh, as a as a rookie when it comes to uh, when it comes to pedigree and and, and sales and, and uh, two year old workouts and all of these things. So uh, I'll, I'll try to sit back and let the experts talk, but occasionally I'll, I'll try to chime in and and uh, ask some newbie type questions. I will say this, JK, for somebody who's been in the game for not a very long time and comes in from the horse player side of things, you do seem pretty attuned to the breeding industry, who the key players are, some of the things going on of interest to people who actually work in the horse business. I attribute that to the amount of time you spend in and around Lexington. But what is it for you as a horse player that makes the breeding side of the game so interesting? Well, I just love the stories that lead to how these these uh, our four-legged friends get to the racetrack. I think that that uh, so much of 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 what uh, happens in a horse's life happens before he gets to the racetrack, uh, or her life as well. And and so I think it's an interesting an interesting angle that I think that you can learn from, um, and it can help you make better wagering decisions when it comes to horse playing. Uh, I think we're going to have some guests on today that will that will tell you some things and teach you some things that that if applied to your everyday horse player are things that could be beneficial. I like that answer a lot, but we always say on this show, JK, that you and I know just enough about this side of the business to get ourselves in trouble. And that's why we reached out to a good friend who actually works in the horse racing business. He's been known to tell a good story or two and has the connections to really make things go. I am talking about the director of Bloodstock for Windstar, Sean Tugel. Sean, how are you today? Doing fantastic, Pete. It was uh, a little bit of a cold day for the first day of the Breeze Show here at uh, Phasic Tipton Timonium Sale, um, but uh, but we got through that. The, the Breeze Show went went very smoothly. Everybody got around there well, and uh, we look forward to the next two uh, two days of Breeze Shows. And the Preakness coming up Saturday, and uh, excited for this new show that that you and and Jonathan. Uh, thought up and uh i think it's going to be a lot of fun and, and hopefully informative and, and something that can grow and uh hopefully uh we can uh build the the fan base of uh this great game that we all uh love to enjoy ourselves that's a good way of putting it there's a lot of things we're hoping to accomplish here one is to create the same sort of sense of community we do on our other podcast from the horse player side, but geared more towards the world of horsemen. But at the same time, part of the goal is to just give fans and horse players some access to this other world that's so important that really helps make the wheels spin in the horse racing industry along of course with the betting dollar and Sean we couldn't think of anybody better than you to get started along with and I know you've got some other ideas too about the, some of the fun stuff you want to talk about on this show what are some of your goals as we get started here well, certainly flattered that uh, my name was the one that came up. Overall, I think, uh, you know, the horse racing uh, community, it, it's really, it, it's a lifestyle. And, and uh, in some ways, we're like one big traveling circus. And, and, and everybody kind of bounces around to, to different tracks and different cities. And, and that's why we love it so much. And that's why we, we're so passionate for it. And, and I think a lot of people, hopefully through, through the guests that, that we have come on throughout our, our business and, and industry and, and can share some of the stories. And, and, you know, a lot of people see what goes on in the afternoons. Uh, but I tell you this much, a lot of the fun is what occurs in the mornings and the, and the people you get to meet and the stories you get to hear and, and a lot of those lifelong memories of, of sharing stories about seeing this horse or that horse or when this foal was born and, and different characteristics and personalities of not only the people in the business, but certainly the horses, you know, all these horses, uh, although they, they don't speak English to us, they, they, they do tell stories themselves. And, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of great stories that, that people can tell about, uh, you know, how horses have changed their lives and, 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 and how much fun this business is and, and why, uh, we need more fans and gamblers and, and breeders and owners and, 
and everything else that goes with it. We've got three guests coming up over the course of this debut show. The first one is going to be Evan Ferraro, who works on the marketing side for Phasing to talk about this sale going on. Of course, we've got the Preakness this week. Going to be a lot of fun tomorrow night. Well, I shouldn't say tomorrow night. Who knows when you're listening to this? Wednesday night of Preakness week, Sean, Gabby Gaudette, and I are going to be down at the Mount Washington Tavern to do this event. It's the America's Best Races pre-Preakness party. It's a ticketed event. You can buy at the door. You can also find it on Eventbrite. We hope you'll come down and join us there. Have you been doing some preparation for the party, Sean? You all ready for this one? I'm going to dive into uh, some of the Friday races that, that Dan Torsman has us has us looking, uh, looking at. Uh, certainly, uh, the draw occurs tomorrow for the Preakness, so that's going to... Uh, dictate a lot um you know I, i'm feeling the butterflies for this one in front of all the fans here in baltimore so uh i hope i don't get any tomatoes or, or shoes or anything thrown at me that only happened well, thank to... god we're not in philly <laughs> that only happened to jk that one time and as for philly fans I'm, I'm on record about you know anybody who boos santa claus all right enough silliness for now we're about to bring in our first guest and now I'd like to welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree podcast the recruiting and marketing manager for Phasing Tipton, Evan Ferraro. Evan, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Things are excellent. Very excited about this new show and very excited to you to talk to you about this sale. From what I understand, this sale has a pretty rich history. What do you know about uh, where it started and how it's developed into what it is now? Well, we've been selling horses in Timonium for a long time, going back several decades. And, you know, it's such a racing-rich region that it was just natural to start doing two-year-old sales there several years ago. And, um, you know, it's a sale that's got horses for everybody. It's a good surface. You know, there's a lot to choose from. You can find a, you know, $5,000 horse. You can find a million-dollar horse there or everything in between. So uh, it works well in uh, a racing central region makes perfect sense as far as this year's version of the sale goes what are you particularly looking forward to i tell you i mean pedigree wise i think it's i think it's one of the strongest catalogs we've had here and you know we've had good results here the last several years uh you know some really strong results some record renewals we've sold a million dollar horse the last three years which is a big deal and um i mean just going through the catalog i mean the quality of sires as well as uh, the female families, it, it's really deep. And, you know, there's a, a, I mean, really a lot of interest in the sale. I mean, based on hotel bookings and everything else. So I think there'll be a lot of competition at the top for the right horses. But at the same time, there's a lot of horses here that can go at, go at any level. So it's just a fun kind of open market. But I think we'll have some, uh, some strong results at the top, which is always fun. I realized what a big deal it was not being on the breeding side of the business, just being on the horse player side. Last year, we had this big event out at Santa Anita, and there were all these people who are active in horse racing contests and active in the breeding world who I was sure were going to come out to our event. And uh, a bunch of them were like, oh, I'd love to, but we're going to be at the Timonium sale. We can't swing it. And it was like, oh, you know, I probably need to start paying a little bit more attention to this. JK, I know you had some questions yeah. for Evan. Yeah, I mean, like I told you, I'm going to ask the stupid newbie questions. Evan, if I wanted to come to Timonium, I'm going to get on a plane tomorrow, can I just show up in the ring and raise my hand and, and buy a million-dollar horse? I got to do some kind of background check. What's going on? <laughs> how, how can I buy a horse? For you, Jonathan, because you're special and I know you, you know, we'll make it work for you. We'll smooth out the rough spots. But uh, <laughs> just kidding. But uh, not typically, dude, hey, you came off the plane. You wanted to buy a horse. You go into the office, talk with our controller, you know, say how much you want to spend, you know, give us a little uh, financial information, and then – Pretty quickly, we can uh, check it and approve you, and you're good to go. Is this something you're thinking of doing, J.K.? Or you, do you have the plane fueled up and ready to go? Well, I'm, I'm I'm alive in a pick four at Thistledown, so if I can <laughs> hit that, and maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll get up there and uh, we'll run it back on a on a horse. So uh, anything I can well, do to get I mean, the we'll game check, out of work. We'll check the payoff. That's as good as a credit check. We'll be good to go. <laughs> 
I would like to talk to you a little bit more about some of these basic questions that JK is saying. When a sale like this one, how far back does the preparation go and what is your role getting ready for an event like this? From Atlantic, I would say a lot of the stuff that I would do from Atlantic on the way in would be the promotion of it. One, recruit because I some is one of my responsibilities. I handle the advertising of Phasic Tipton, so a lot of it would be, firstly, recruiting horses to come to the sale and promoting how well it's done for sellers in recent years, and then once we've got a catalog together, it's promoting what you've got and trying to get buyers there. And I mean, in addition to to general marketing. Uh, we roll up our sleeves. We do a lot of one-on-one calls, texts, emails. Um, everybody in the office uh, really contributes to that. But I mean, getting the horses together and then and then uh, taking care of paperwork, stabling. We've got a really, really good staff up in Maryland that handles everything in that division. Uh, Paget Bennett and her crew, and they would uh, really be the ones that are locking down the catalog and, and taking care of all the. Uh, nuts and bolts and details that go into organizing an event like this. Cause especially a two-year-old in training sale, you've got horses training at the facility in advance of the sale, you know, sometimes two weeks in advance. I mean, there's a lot, uh, there are a lot of little things that go into putting on a sale like this. Evan, what's going on? Tugel here. Dude. Looking at your catalog and, uh, you know, certainly I, I was hoping that your answer, JK's uh, question was that you had a good friend who was a bloodstock agent who could, who could help select that horse. Um, for form of faith. <laughs> Who would that be? There. <laughs> well, we don't want to put any names out oh. there at the moment, but we we got several. So, yeah, as the director of bus stop um, at Windstar, it's pretty handy. <laughs> so, but looking looking at the catalog, and uh, you know, for 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 people who don't maybe don't know, um, and since you do handle the the marketing there at Fazig, um, you know, a lot of people don't, maybe people who are new to the game, they, they don't quite realize um, the cover of the catalogs are, are, are usually uh, the significant horses who have come out of the sale in recent years. And just looking at this catalog, um, certainly the horses that have come out in the last several years, obviously last year, Mucho Gusto was, was a superstar that, that Donato Lonnie and, and picked out for uh, Michael Lund Peterson. And, and then recently Secret Spites, the grade one winner this year, yeah. um, you know, the one thing I think a lot of people love about this sale is uh, is that it's the last you know major sale um, on dirt, and and I know yep. that a lot of people like that, and and it help help it's helpful to you know separate the horses. Um, do you think that uh, how do you think that plays into into your ability there to get not only the quality of horse that you know looking at this catalog certainly uh, some of the best horses in the country have, have come out of this this uh, sale. But, you know, as far as uh, getting people to, to bring certain types of horses there for dirt and then obviously uh, being able to get the strength of the buyer there to, to be able to have $3 million horses uh, over the last three years. Well, I think it starts, I mean, the results are what drive everything. I mean, firstly, getting good results for sellers so they bring the right horses. And, and the buyers, obviously, they want to know that good horses come out of this sale. So, I mean, if you look at the cover of this year's catalog, we've got, you know, and great stakes winners on there, including, you know, great winners like Discreet Lover, who cost $10,000, Uriah St. Louis, Four Star Crook, uh, Secret Spice. Uh, you've got good three-year-olds like Maximus Mischief, Mucho Gusto, as you mentioned. And don't, don't forget about Concrete Rose friend. there. Well, I was trying to build up to that, Sean. <laughs> For our good friend, Bo uh, Bromagen's family and their partner bbn racing i mean she's a star in the making i mean her race at the edgewood i mean to win win by daylight over a you know superstar like newspaper newspaper for a record i mean it just shows you what you can find here yeah i think that star's been made i would say based on that performance that was uh that was an amazing effort i wanted to ask a question specifically yeah. about two-year-old in training sales and where you find most of the buzz gets generated. I think a lot of people are familiar with yearling sales and 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 the catalog and the buzz that surrounds a lot of the horses in that environment. At a two-year-old in training sale, how much is be how much buzz is being generated based on catalog page at that point versus uh, some of the breeze ups and 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 other information out there about the athletes who are in the sale? 
it's a performance-based environment, firstly. But then when you, when you factor in pedigree, that's that's where the value comes in for sure. So, um, I mean, if you've got a horse that performs well on the racetrack and has the pedigree, you know, that that's where the it can get, you know, they cost a lot more, certainly. So, I mean, back years ago, we sold Byron in here, who was out of a great family, uh, you know, Helen Alexander family. And now we've got his, uh, we have his half-brother nearby Union Rag. So, I mean, that, I mean, that's a huge pedigree. So I think when it comes down to it, you've got buyers looking for different things. You've got buyers looking for horses to fit their budget. And, and the guys that are looking to play at the top, they're going to first, they're going to have to require some pedigree. And then the horse is, is going to have to show them enough on the racetrack. When it comes to these two-year-old sales, this is a question for Sean and for Evan. And Evan, obviously you talking to a lot of the consigners and Sean, you being in, involved uh, behind the scenes. What's the decision that goes behind whether or not to work a horse in eighth? or to work them a quarter. What are those conversations like? And, and uh, do you, do you see people that make the mistake where they work a horse uh, an eighth and they should have worked them a quarter or vice versa? And, and talk a little bit about that decision-making process when you're bringing a horse to a two-year-old sale. I think it's a couple factors. I think one, it's, it's pedigree. Uh, the, you know, some horses, if they think they're a two-turn horse, they, they want to show off that, that they can, they can go a little farther you know, and that's when the quarters would come in, you know, occasionally these later sales, will even see a three eights or something, you know, and, and they feel that that's going to showcase that horse the best. That horse has some stamina. And, and a lot of guys too figure if they show a horse that can do that and they do a quarter well, that, that, that the horse is going to sell better. The eighths are, are great. You get a great feel for, for a horse's movement. Um, certainly with horses that are maybe a little quicker, a little earlier, I think they feel like a little shorter distance might showcase them the best. I mean, what do you think, Sean? Certainly time of the year does come into it with those earlier sales. Obviously the horses are younger and, and the, uh, you know, they're not quite ready to, to all necessarily go a quarter of a mile. Um, certainly the, this is something where, where pedigree and, and the physical makeup of the horse comes into a lot of play. Uh, you, you know, your bigger kind of two turn route horse, um, they're not your, your quick push button kind of, you know, quick eighth where it takes to go from the eighth mile pole to the wire, uh, in a real quick, quick burst, they, they may need a little bit more time to kind of get, get their, uh, get their feet under them and get rolling. They, you know, they're the kind of horses that are going to have the big long stride. And, um, so, I mean, I, a lot of times the pedigree and the physical makeup, you know, and then sometimes, and Evan can agree to this sometimes is is, uh, you know, these, these two-year-old guys are sharp, and, and sometimes they have to call audible. Some horses they have down to go a quarter. I know in April, they some of them switch and go an eighth because of, of the wind and, and the weather factor. So, I mean, um, they've got to have the horses prepared, you know. They, they're professionals, and they have to have the horses prepared, um, you know, certainly to be race horses and perform um, on the day that they need to breeze. But, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into it early on, and, and, and there's a lot that they have to um, – uh, be ready for on the fly as well. So um, it, it's pretty interesting. And, um, but, you know, it really just comes down to, to the way they move it at the two-year-old sales. And that's what, what it's really about. In the end, we're just looking, you know, people are looking for horses to have a nice way of going and, and uh, you know, which is a good, good preview of what their ability is going to be down the road. Now, I don't want to get you in trouble uh, with anybody who's uh, selling horses at the sale, but I'm just, I'll just ask it this way. Is there any particular uh, horses in the sale that you're particularly looking forward to seeing uh, go through the ring this week? Well, you know, I have to be honest with you, it, it's, it's such a good catalog in terms of sire power, both with the young sires and the uh, proven sires, that I'm actually just looking forward to, to going through all the breezes as a whole and, and, and seeing who jumps out. But, um, you know, I mean, there's going to be a lot of nice horses in here. I think it'll be hard to separate them, to be honest with you. Is there a way folks can follow along online? What's the best source of real-time information about the sale? Well, you can watch all of our under-tax shows live on the website. And the first day was today. And there's uh, we're, there's two more days, tomorrow and Thursday. And they're going to start at 8 o'clock. And if you go to phasictipton.com, you can watch the under-tax show live as it happens. But, you know, if you, got, if you can't watch it live or be there in person... All the videos individually get loaded on our website, and you can go to the Atlantic uh, Tools and Training catalog, and you can you can pick the video for any horse you want to watch, and it's all there for you at your convenience. Or you can watch the under tax show at once if you like. So uh, really, there's there's plenty of options if you can't be there to uh, check it out. 
Well, great stuff. We look forward to watching from afar, Evan. We're going to let you go and get back to work, but we appreciate your time today, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, appreciate it. I'm honored to be on the maiden voyage here. <laughs> Thank you. The pleasure was all ours. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Have to say no to Sean Toodle. He's a very convincing guy, you know. <laughs> That's one word for what he is. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'd like to bring in a woman who has many titles. We could call her the co-founder of Elite Sales. We could call her the racing manager for Ten Strike Racing. We could just say she's one of the top Bloodstock agents in our business. She is Liz Crow. Liz, how are you tonight? I'm great. Thanks for the introduction. <laughs> well, we've got a few things we want to ask you about. We're going to start off by talking about this weekend's Preakness. I was thrilled to be on hand for Warriors Charge's last race, and it certainly did look visually and come out on the clock like a race of a horse who would fit in a Triple Crown race. Now, I remember thinking at the time, oh, shame, we're not going to get to see him in the Preakness because he uh, wasn't nominated and a hefty supplemental fee would have to be paid. So I just wanted to ask you about the process between that day and Oaklawn and what we're going to see on Saturday. What went into the decision to supplement the horse and how's he doing heading into this weekend's Preakness Stakes? First of all, I feel kind of stupid that we didn't originally nominate this horse <laughs> to the Triple Crown back in January. And then we had another opportunity to do that after he broke his maiden in April. We could have uh, given 6000 and we didn't. Um, we, you know, just thinking he's by Munnings, he's not a very big horse. He's kind of average size. I would say he's probably at 16 hands now, but he just looks more like a one-turn horse if you look at him physically. So I was I don't think any of our owners, Brad Cox, myself, thought, yeah, we should probably target some triple crown races, you know, back in January or even April. Um, so then when he won it at Oakland so impressively and got, you know, a 97 buyer, we were thinking just like you were, damn, why isn't he, you know, nominated? We'll just sit back and wait for the Haskell or something like that so we can take our big shot. And, um, you know, the Freakness field started kind of falling apart. So, Marshall Graham, who's, you know, one of the co-founders of 10 Strike, um, was in town. We were looking looking at horses and looking at his uh, mares and, and foals in Kentucky. And we just started talking about it. And we thought, well, why don't, I mean, the risk reward here is, is um, it makes sense, right? I mean, he's worth so much money if he were to hit the board or win the Preakness. And we think he's very talented. He's doing tremendous out of his last race. He's been breathing well. Brad's really happy with him. Um, why sit on the sidelines and, and be on the outside looking in when, you know, there is a chance we can supplement him and get him in the race. And, and so here we are. I know those 10 strike partners, many of whom I was there with uh, that day, have to be over the moon at this opportunity and Marshall not somebody to be swayed just by sentiment I figured it had to mean the horse was doing well and that that he and you and Clay would take the Clay Sanders one of the other founding partners in 10 strike racing would be doing this with an analytical mindset that that risk reward idea you mentioned one person who's been a big believer in warriors charge all along is jonathan kinchin jk do you have a question about him or uh, any uh, anything else this week we should be bothering liz about i tell you what pete i, I was getting i was getting ready to figure out how i was going to pat myself on the back without <laughs> sounding arrogant and you you set me up just fine so uh, yes, I did pick Warriors Charge in our Triple Crown draft, the draft we do on our other show, the In the Money Players podcast, where got you know I think there's four of us. We all pick, uh, we go. It's like a fantasy football draft. We pick horses, and I sneakily picked Warriors Charge, hoping I didn't even know he wasn't nominated. I have to admit that, uh, hoping that he would show up in the Preakness. Um, Liz, tell us a little bit about how Warriors Charge came to you guys at at uh, in at Ten Strike, and how you found him, and and what it was about him at that point that uh that made him a horse you guys definitely wanted to add to the barn yeah it's it's kind of an interesting story um he was purchased by his breeder in utero uh at the january sale um al shakab was looking for some mares to buy to to support their stallion Kozan down in florida who's off to a great start right now um and they 
you know, a couple of the mares were in full, the other stallions, congrats, Munnings, um, et cetera. So they fold out those foals and they were, they were selling them at public auction just to have the mare to be able to breed it back to Kozon. And um, this horse came out, he colicked as a foal, um, had really standard colic surgery, but that makes it really hard to sell them at public auction um, once they've, once they've colicked. So I had some horses out at McCathin Brothers Farm, same farm that broke American Pharaoh, um, and they, they do a great job out there. And I was out there looking at a couple of our other horses, and uh, this horse galloped by, and, and he was such an efficient mover. I love the way he went. And I said to Chris and, and J.B. McCathin, I said, who's that? And they said, this is a little Munnings colt, but he's really impressing us early on. And, um, so I went back to the barn. I looked at him. I liked him. Um, Clay and Marshall love Munnings. They, uh, looking at Lucky and Munnings are their two favorite sires and, and both were used to be under the radar and now no longer are under the radar. <laughs> um, and so we just decided, <laughs> we decided we'd love to own a Munnings, but it's such a nice mover. And, um, obviously he was never available at any public auction, but, um, luckily the breeders were willing to to sell him to us privately and so we've owned him i think it's been since december of his yearling year and it's been an impressive journey to watch that's for sure what a chapter uh it's hopefully going to be on saturday i'm really looking forward to the race and to see how you guys do now our previous conversations i realize i don't think you've ever been a guest proper on the other show liz i'm remembering i interviewed you at a live show we did in Saratoga for with Naira Betts last summer, and then I bothered you constantly at the Breeders' Cup Breeders' Cup Week about Monomoy Girl and how she was doing. Monomoy Girl and you have such a, a great connection. Uh, for folks who don't know, one of the first horses that you, as in in your new business venture, picked out. Is that right, Liz? Yeah, it is. It's. You know, I had, I had been buying horses for years just in other names. Um, I worked for Bradley Thoroughbreds for several several years and had been signing tickets, but just never in my own name. Um, and then even the sales previously, I had been to a couple sales earlier in the year, but I would bought horses after they'd RNA. Or, you know, I hadn't officially signed a ticket. So when she came through the ring, I had been outbid a hundred times, you know, just had put my hand up a bunch. But finally she came in the ring and I was able to able to get her for a hundred thousand and and thank god uh i was because it kind of <laughs> kicked off my career can't imagine where i'd be without her <laughs> so um yeah she's she's very special to us obviously and um she's hanging out at windstar with sean tugel over there <laughs> right now um uh, we're hoping we're hoping to get her back to the races soon we do want to thank you for for entrusting us uh with the champ there for, for a while while she recuperates it's uh that's one thing that Windstar certainly um, um, offers, especially working there, is, is getting to see a lot of these these unbelievable horses that kind of come through, especially our rehab center. You know, it's a horse like Monomoy Girl who's there now, and and uh, as people saw on the Blood Horse, we had Omaha Beach, and uh, you know, horses like Uncle Mo and and Dullahan and some some great horses have come through there. So hopefully she can uh, she can she can uh, continue to, uh, to be able to put pictures up in the in the trainer stand there. Uh, all the horses that leave and, and win grade ones after after we, after we have we we hang up uh, some 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 pictures and I'm sure she'll be able to help add to the collection. So uh, she looks great though, Liz. She she is she looks like a superstar. So Monomoy girl looks tremendous right now. She's put on probably nearly 80 pounds since she's been there. Um, and her coat looks awesome. Brad Fox was actually out there today to look at her, and he sent me a, a picture of her. I mean, every day she just seems to be looking better and better. We're just being ultra patient with her just because of who she is. You know, you don't want to bring her back in the barn unless she's looking 110%. So the owners, luckily, all, all the owners are seasoned owners, and they, they understand that. So no one's rushing her back. And I think we're hoping to have her with TAC back on sometime in early June. And, and so hopefully we'll see her this summer running and maybe in Saratoga or, or at Keeneland in the, the Spinster or something like that. With the new In the Ring show, we, we were trying to reach out to as, as many uh, people and fans and, and possible people who might want to get into the business. And, and certainly when people get into the business, they're going to need uh, the assistance of, of a bloodstock agent. Um, I know that we certainly sat out in the hot sun on the back stretch there at OBS, many sales, and uh, and you were there for the for the cold wind today. 
Um, why don't you just kind of what what would be your routine um, and you and specifically at a two year old sale, which is what we're working now. What would be your routine and without giving away all your secrets, um, how you tend to work it, your video review, um, kind of the the team and staff that that you use. How do you attack the two year old sales personally? Well, it's it's a good question. It's it's different for everybody, but I think we're all looking for kind of the same thing, right? We're trying to find winners. <laughs> And um, I sit out on the turn at OBS, which I know, Sean, you sit there too. And there's a few other agents that sit there, but mainly a lot of people's assistants sit there. Uh, I like to sit there because you already have the video. You, you have the video replay of them coming down the lane, but you don't have the video replay of them galloping out. And finally, the rider's not hitting them and pushing on them. And they're finally able to show you their actual stride length and their actual movement. And so I like to sit around the turn and just watch them once they're relaxed on the gallop out to see how they, how they move. And I've been doing that for probably nine years now. That's been the spot I've been in. And I, I just really like it. But, you know, at Timonium, you're back there on the gallop out. There's a parking lot and a fence. So I sit on the front side for that up in the stands just where I can get a, a better view. But there's pretty much, for people that don't know, I mean, about 200 horses breeze a day generally at these sales. And so you're trying to shorten that down to probably 60 or 75 horses from the 200 based on how they move, how they switch leads. You know, are they cross-firing? Are they going efficiently down the lane? Um, how fast did they go? I mean, that does matter. It doesn't matter to me if they go 10 flat or 10 and 1, but I'm not going to buy a horse probably that goes 11 unless they gallop out tremendously. So obviously the times matter. And then you're clocking the gallop outs. Everybody's clocking the gallop outs. So you clock the next eighth out, and then you clock the, the eighth after that. So you have the full quarter gallop out time, and you have the full three-eighths time. And if they go quarter, then you have, you know, obviously a half-mile gallop out. So it's um, from there I've got a team of of, of people that work for me. Caitlin Jackson uh, comes to most sales with me. And then we have Jake Memolo who, who used to work for TaylorMade. So they'll come to the sales and, and sit in different spots and kind of watch the horses cool out, watch them walk home, um, sit up in the stands to, to get different vantage points um, of, of how they are moving at different points on the track. And then we have a meeting at the end of the day. We go through each horse. We go through each video. That usually takes another three hours. And then you come up with your list for each day. And, and that's your first cut list to go back in the barns and start looking at them physically. So you end up with probably 200 horses out of a 600 horse breed show to look at. And then you've got to figure out from there which ones you want to buy. It's an amazing amount of work. Just, just I'm getting tired just listening to all that goes into that. It's such an, and it's also just strikes me some of the similarities with uh with handicapping but now you're talking about doing it in doing it in real time and having to make these these critical business decisions that aren't over in 20 minutes like a race is but are decisions you're, you're going to have to live with for for uh for months and hopefully years hopefully successful years to come but that's a great window into what that process is all about liz how busy do you project to be at the sale this week well i'm selling a few i have a venture i buy yearlings and i sell them as two-year-olds um we sold six at obs april we did fairly well we we had one sell for 325 that we paid 75 for and we have an um, american feral colt here we're really excited about we paid 200 for so i'm i'm busy in the sense that i have a lot of um partners i guess to communicate with that own pieces of these horses and then also I'm, I'm here to buy as well. So I probably won't buy very many. I bought 12 so far this year, and that's probably a fair number. I, don't, I probably just need to add one or two more to the roster. But it's still just the same amount of work to buy one or two that it is to buy six. I mean, you still have to go through, through all the process of, of looking. And, and like you said, it's, I wish it was over in 20 minutes, but it's a decision <laughs> that once you make it, you know, it's a major problem for many years to come, or it's a major success, one of the two. Liz, they, they should have, this is Jonathan, they should have never left a, a horse, let a horse player on this show because I'm always going to ask all you guys, do we, do we have anything live that we can bet this weekend outside of Warriors Charge? We already know about Warriors Charge, but 
I know that you guys do a lot of stuff with with uh, Saul and all of his partners. We have any turf freaks that are coming over from Europe that we can we can bet on on Saturday at uh, at Pimlico. I wish I had a turf freak for you. That would be awesome. <laughs> um, you know we we have a we have a nice group of horses running. I don't think we have anything that's like definitely worth betting on. Warriors Charge probably going to be our longest live shot of the weekend, right? I mean he's I don't know. What do you think his odds will go off at, J.K.? Do you think he'll be 10 to 1, 11 to 1? Yeah, I think he'll creep. I, you know, I think obviously improbable and win, win, win. The horses that are going to exit the Derby are going to take money um, just because of the name recognition. And, and, uh, and so I think, he could, I think he could get lost in the shuffle being a horse that, uh, that is kind of, um, you know, wasn't in the, in the first dance of the Triple Crown. However, his, he has fast numbers, and so that'll, that'll suck some money out of, out of, uh, out of horse players. Yeah, that makes sense. And right. who do you guys like in the in the Preakness? I'm just curious. Well, you got to come. You know, we're gonna we'll, we'll, we're gonna pull rank on that one and say you got to come see us tomorrow night at the Mount Washington Tavern. <laughs> Sean's gonna be giving out all the winners. No, I'm, we do want you to come see us, but we we can talk about that for a minute. Sean, I, we, I think I know what you're gonna say. I'm well, certainly, Pete. I'm gonna be rooting for Improbable. He ran a a, a very good fifth, uh, moved up to fourth there in in the Derby. Um, broke broke well but we kind of had to eat mud the entire way around and, and when he finally had a, had a chance to get outside of horses and make his run you know the race was pretty much kind of wrapped up and over at that point but uh he certainly is, is coming into the race full of energy uh bob baffert's won seven preaknesses so only seven i'm, I'm pretty excited <laughs> for, for for his chance say what oh i was joking i said only seven <laughs> yeah so um <laughs> Um, certainly, I, I'm going to be rooting for the home team, but uh, it is a wide open race. Um, I'm happy to see that that you know, like Marshall and Ten Striker are, are taking taking a swing, and and that's great sportsmanship. And um, you know, I think it's it's going to be a very competitive field. And I I think it's going to be a great gambling uh, race as well. J.K., how about you give us a glimmer of what you're thinking about the race? All right, no, I, I you know I loved him probably needed him for. Uh... <laughs> For, for a ton on Derby Day. So I, I think he's obviously live. I'm a little bit concerned he's going to be over bet. Um, I, will be, I will be wagering on Warriors Charge with my heart and my mind. I, I want that horse to win, and I, and I do think he's got a legit chance at a big price. But a weird horse that I'll talk about probably more in, in, in the shows to come this week is, is Bourbon War, who I was completely against. I didn't like the Florida Derby. Maximum security and code of honor kind of slapped me in the face with that opinion. Uh, I thought Bourbon War ran pretty good in that race. And so uh, based on the way those two horses ran um, in, the, in the Derby, I think that you have to upgrade Bourbon War and, and his chances uh, coming in as a fresh horse. Very reasonable. I'll be uh, wherever 10 Strike is hanging out. I'm going to try to bluff my way in with my media pass and I'll be rooting and betting on Warriors Charge. And I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully it'll go as well as last time I was in that situation with uh, 40 screaming partners. Liz, that worked out pretty well. Yeah, that worked out great. And if this horse wins and you're there, you're going to have to now travel with the horse from here on here on out. You're just going to be like his, you know, it's like the assistant handicapper for Brad Fox Racing. It's going to be your title. Oh, I like it. I like that idea. JK will take great offense of that because he's the he's the Warriors charge number one fan. But you know Pete was there for the win, so the the wins count for something. JK, well, well, I was I was there I was there for the loss, so and, and I almost got broke up with. Yeah, so I, get the hell out of here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I I, I'm not coming. I won't be there. I won't be. I almost got broke up with it. I was at uh, I was at uh, Hamilton trying to watch the maiden race at Churchill. I, I singled him in a pick five, and I'm trying to watch it without getting in trouble uh, in the middle of Hamilton. So, oh my I'm, God. I'm, I'm so, so you really went. You, you went to one of the greatest Broadway plays in the, like, the last 15 years, 20 years, and, and you had to tune in for a maiden race? <laughs> oh, I was alive for a ton. And here's the best part about it is I, I pretended like I needed to go to the bathroom so that I could go out and watch it. You the might door. be a degenerate if, That's folks. Awesome. You might be a degenerate if. All right, Liz, we've kept you longer than we said. We will let you get back to work. Hopefully we will see you tomorrow and definitely later next week. Godspeed in all your endeavors, and we'll be talking soon. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate you having me on. And now I'd like to welcome the owner of SBM Training and Sales, Susan Montaigne. Susan, how are you tonight? I'm good. Just finished up the brief show for the day. 
Excellent. Let's go back to the hotel room. I wanted to talk to you about your journey in this business because, uh, from what I've heard, it's a pretty interesting one. How did you come to your current position? So I used to just gallop horses, uh, and then I started breeding horses and got some opportunities to start breaking and training a few on my own, and eventually got some clients to to support me, and the the adventure started. You mentioned about galloping horses. Is that an uncommon path into the the sort of breeding and sales side of the business, or is that something that happens more than I've heard about? No, I think for me it was just a, you know, I've got a different angle, I guess, just by getting on horses and having the ability to ride them and stuff and breeding horses at the sales. Um, you know, I was breaking and training for other consigners, so it was an easy transition. Thank you. One of my one of my greatest scores of all time, I think, uh, came from a horse that that you had something to do with early in his career. That was American Pharaoh. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about your involvement with American Pharaoh and then some of the other uh, kind of high profile horses that you've been involved with in, in your time? Uh, yeah. So American Pharaoh, I just I got the opportunity to uh, to breeze him at the farm. I'm sure several people. Um, have seen that video uh his two-year-old breeze at the mccaffin brothers farm um done a lot of work for them over the years and went over there to to help them kind of breeze those horses that day and he he happened to be on my set list uh that morning <laughs> so you know i i didn't know then what i was sitting on as far as what becoming a triple crown winner but it sure <laughs> there is a feather in my cap <laughs> that is amazing to think if you knew then what you knew now what you know now how 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 much of a crazy thought experiment that is at what point with american pharaoh did you sort of realize what that horse was you know it's funny because i got on him that morning and we had breathed i don't even remember there was probably 50 head that morning that we breezed and and we breezed most of them in company that morning and there was two horses um that did not go in company and that was american pharaoh and actually mr z and uh, sure. one of the other breeze riders that breezes at the sales was there with me and he actually mr z was on his list and american pharaoh happened to be on mine and uh they just told me look just sit on him and don't ask him don't move don't smooch just just sit and let him just kind of coast around there. And, like, I'm sure you guys saw the video. It looks like he breaks off going 9 0 and just kind of <laughs> cruises around there. And I'm sure you've heard the, the comments in the videos. Um, so they knew he was obviously uh, a horse that had a lot of talent and ability. Susan, it's Dougal here. <clears throat> just kind of like expanding upon that and, and, and into sales. You know, for a lot of people, is is you probably breeds more horses annually than than any other breeze riders, um, and I do know, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, really trust, you know, your word and 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 what you say on horses, and, and you're a great tool for people at the sales. Uh, certainly with your own consignment, and then you know other people's horses that you 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 ride. Kind of get kind of. For for people who are trying to kind of understand, you know, breeze riders and and the different feeling of of horses, you know, kind of like just expand upon when you do get on one of those good ones and it gives you that little bit of different feeling. Like, what is that feeling? Can you even put in the words that feeling that that those really good ones give you? You know, it's funny that you say that. So, one a horse that really sticks out in my mind. Um, I, I did not have the privilege of selling him, but I did have the privilege of riding him, and that was Golden Scent. He was a horse. The only way that I can really describe it is he's not necessarily a horse that would, what some people say was a bullet work or the fastest breeze of the day. Um, but it's the, the way he did it and the way he felt underneath me and how horses do things. They don't necessarily, now some horses can go super, super fast and I'm like, this horse can really run. And there's other horses that don't necessarily have the the fastest time of the that day breathing, but they give me a different feel that I know that they have the ability to to take it to the next level, and that's obviously to go to the races. So I can't. It's it's hard to put it into words. It just 
having the ability to sit on so many different horses over the time that I've had, um, there's definitely horses that kind of just give you a different feel and, and, and it's, it's a good feeling. Um, you know, for me, one of my, one of my best is find your biscuit. Um, you know, I had, I broke and trained him and, uh, again, he was a horse that didn't necessarily have the fastest work of the day and he didn't really care for the poly track. He breezed at OBS and didn't really care for it, but I knew what he was on the dirt. Uh, he just gave you a different feel. A horse like that who was so versatile, the different distances he was able to win at, is there anything that you were able to intuit in your time working with him that he'd be able to be fast enough to win as short as he did and have enough stamina to stretch out as well as he did? You know, I think for him, for, for like a horse like that, you, listen, the biggest thing is horses that can stay sound, right? That's probably um, in, in mind. Uh, those are the two biggest things, a sound horse and, and their minds to be able to, to take the pressure and, and go out and train every day and perform, you know, in the afternoons. And he was a horse um, that was just rock solid. Every time you ask him to do something, he was always there. And I knew he had the speed. He showed me that speed on the dirt. Um, you know, and, and going back to the breezing part, you know, this is kind of like our derby. We have one shot. Um, so it, it's a little bit, you know, if a horse doesn't necessarily work to their potential or to, to the, to the number that people expect, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not a horse that can do something like a minor biscuit. I want to talk to you about what you've got going on this week in the sale. What is your week looking like? So, yeah, so we finished today. Um, I, I had four horses breathe today. Some, again, showed some fast early speed. I had a colt that had the co-bullet of the day, uh, 10 and 1. Super nice colt. One of those that just tries hard and does everything you ask him to do. Um, had a filly that's half to the UAE Derby winner. Um, worked exceptionally well. Went in 10 and 3. So there's a there's a difference in, in timing. But, you know, she's a type of filly that I think has showed me all year that um, – She's going to be an exceptional filly, and I've got several more coming. Um, you know, I've got three tomorrow, and the rest are breezing on Thursday. And uh, looking looking forward to to the next two days. I think we have a really solid group of horses, and a couple of them that I think are exceptional. Susan, I, I've always been interested in, in in the work that you guys do, and, and being around these these horses at such a young age. It's it's like you know they're like your your kids, right? It's like my son won this silly award the other day at a soccer game i was in tears like tell me what a day <laughs> is like on derby day when when two horses that were at your farm i believe you raised one the other one you just had for a little while in in matoli and, and mia mischief having those huge performances and, and 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 i'm sure you sit back and with a big smile on your face tell us a little bit about uh, seeing your kids run and how it makes you feel oh you my my family and my other half, he, he thinks it's funny that they, they should just video me and not watch the races. I'm, <laughs> I'm surprised I don't have a trench drug dug into my, my living room because I'm running around screaming and whipping and riding and crying and my phone's ringing and it's, it's pretty wild. But, you know, that's, that's the goal, right? So having horses that you either have a small part of or even a big part of, um, you know, that's it, – it just – solidifies everything that you that you do getting up early in the morning and staying you know if you get a horse that's sick in the afternoons or late at night and being there and all of that just solidifies that this is why I continue to do this is it's not just for the money per se it's for getting watching those horses go on to do what they can do you know I, I ha and I get to sometimes I get to stay in too like for instance Lady Ivanka I, I stayed in on her and so I'm a I myself won a grade one. I mean, that, that's crazy, right? But, um, you know, Matoli and Mia Mischief, those horses were purchased um, by Mr. Hollybro at sales, and they came back to my farm, and uh, Steve said, hey, just kick them out, you know, just turn them out for a little bit. And that's what we did. We just turned them out, and I got them back going, and I called them, and I said, hey, I think they're ready. They're ready to move on. They're ready to go to you. So, it's fun. It really is. And it and it means a lot to see them go to that level. 
Susan, I, 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 we're, we're running out of time here, but I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot because we, we know that you can pick out horses, but you've got to give all the listeners who are going to come into town for the Preakness this weekend, what's your crab cake place here at the Timonium <laughs> Sale? Ah, you listen, Michael's is always good, but there's a place called Basta Pasta that's right next to the fairgrounds. So that's fantastic. And the Bluestone, they've got great crab cakes. Love it. I agree with you that, that Michael's is always a good one, but but venturing out, uh, there's some hidden gems right around here. Can't find a bad one, For though. For sure. You guys are For making sure. me hungry. This was not the plan. <laughs> <laughs> Susan, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Have a great week, and hopefully we'll get to meet in person at some stage uh, before they run this Preakness on Saturday. Thanks for your time. Oh, thank you, guys. We are just about wrapped on this maiden voyage, but did want to just throw in a couple of notes. Obviously, a little bit of a work in progress here, and we definitely want this, as we said at the top, to be a fan's show. If you've got people you want to hear from, if you have questions you want answered, we want to be here to help deliver those guests and answer those questions. JK, what kind of hashtag should we use for this? Well, on the other show, we do Ask ITM, so Ask in the Money. For this one, we'll do uh, Ask uh, ITR, Ask in the Ring. So uh, hashtag Ask ITR and uh, questions or guests or or topics that you you're, you want to hear more about, and, and we'll do our best to, uh, to to get those people on. Speaking of Twitter, I'm at Looms Boldly on there. JK is at UT Big Hair. Sean, how can people find and catch up with you? Very simple, at Sean Tugel. You and, have, and speaking of Twitter... You have your and, name? And going you, back on... I, huh? I can't believe you have your actual name. You were an early adopter or something, or there's just not many Tugels? Late to the Twitter scene. Late to the Twitter <laughs> scene. Keeping it simple. All right. And you had one more thought. I interrupted. Speaking of Twitter, I and going back on what Liz Crow was, was, was saying, I, I look forward to Marshall Graham's tweet on the exact percentage breakdown of his risk versus reward uh, <laughs> on supplementing Warriors Charge into the Preakness. <laughs> Marshall is very good with those type of analytical tweets. I don't know in this case it, what if he's going to put out there the, the break-even point. It's hard to quantify uh, what the upside is for a decision like this in, in just, uh, just looking at numbers. But we'll see. He may be up to the challenge. Can't wait for this race. Lots of rooting interest. And one more call if you're listening to this before Wednesday night. Come see me, Sean, Gabby Gaudette, and the entire America's Best Racing team at the Mount Washington Tavern. You can find tickets on Eventbrite for the pre-Preakness party. And we look forward to seeing you there. It's uh, it's all for charity, and it's going to be a great time and that's it for this edition. I want to thank Jonathan Kinchin. I want to thank Sean Tugel. I want to thank Evan Ferraro, Liz Crow, and Susan Montaigne. Most of all, I want to thank all of you, the listeners, for tuning in and helping us get this show off the ground. Lots more to come. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May the hammer drop your way. <laughs>